The text that we'll study this morning is Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to go ahead and turn uh, to Matthew chapter 6. If you do not have a Bible to use this morning, feel free to use the one that's in the seat back in front of you. Um, we have plenty of Bibles around in the seat back uh, behind the pew. And so if you don't have a copy of God's Word at home that is yours to study at uh, whenever you want, please take that copy with you. It would be a privilege for us to gift it from our church to you. Uh, we want everyone to have a copy of God's Word, so you can take that Bible and we'll replace it after the service with another one, um, but we would love for you to have it. So one of the favorite text messages I received oftentimes will come at the end of a work day. Uh, it's at the end of the work day when I, I'm getting ready to like shut down for the day, and I'll get this text message from my wife that says, hey, what time will you be home? I'm getting supper ready. And I'm going to tell you, it's one of my favorite text messages to receive for two reasons. Number one, because my wife is sending it to me, and I love to get text messages from her. In my phone, my wife's name is listed as my wife. So I can say, hey, Siri, call my wife, and it'll call Carly. But the second reason that I love getting that text message is because I love the idea that when I get home, food's going to be ready. Like, this is an incredible motivator for me to get out of the office and to get to the house. I enjoy to eat. I love it. It's, it's been said before, um, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. You've heard that too. Okay, I didn't know if it was just, just in my marriage or if that was common knowledge. Everybody knew that. And I don't know, do they, ladies, do they teach that to you when you're young? Like, is there a, is there a special class that y'all have that guys are not invited to where they teach you these types of things? Like, hey, if you'll cook for him, you know, uh, he'll never... He'll never be able to resist you. Well, I can tell you, ladies, there's not a special class for guys, but it's, uh, it's not necessary. Like, we appreciate it, but we can't resist you anyway. Like, God made us this way. Um, and, and so, I love getting the text, and I love the idea that there's going to be food ready, and somehow my wife understands that if she can just keep feeding me, that she will keep me happy. But I want to tell you, it's not just ladies that know the secret to a man's heart is through food. It's also the devil the devil knows that he can access your life in a way that perhaps you don't think about if he can just keep you fed, which is why we have this subject of fasting that we're going to talk about today, because there are times where we simply need to break the devil's chain of distraction in our life so that we can focus in. And so this morning, I want to teach to you about the practice of fasting. And, and before we jump into the study too deep, can I just ask you, have any of you, just a quick show of hands, don't have to be embarrassed about anything, but have any of you ever practiced fasting in the Christian sense of the word before? Just a show of hands. Have any of you ever fasted before? Okay. All right. Well, then it, that just is reassurance that we need to talk about this particular subject, about what it means to fast. And so we're in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. This is what I want us to do this morning. I'm going to read the passage. I want to explain to you what fasting is, just uh, taking out all of, the, all of the, the fluff and just say practically, descriptively, this is what fasting is. I want to teach us through Jesus's words in Matthew chapter six, and then I want to share with you some benefits of why you should practice fasting in your own life. So we look at Matthew chapter six, Jesus says, and Matthew records in verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face 
that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So this is what fasting is, and by definition. Fasting is abstaining from food for a spiritual reason. Fasting is to abstain from food, to, to resist, to not take in food for a spiritual reason. All right, that's Christian fasting. Now, do you know what it's called when you abstain from food for a non-spiritual reason, for, for no reason at all? It's called starving, okay? Very important to distinguish. If you abstain from food for a spiritual reason, it's called fasting. But if you abstain from food for no reason, it's called starving. It's a terrible idea. And everybody around you is equally as miserable, I promise. But fasting is when we abstain from food for a spiritual purpose. Now, in the Bible, we come across a number of uh, fasts or different categories or types of fast. I want to share three with you. There are others, but I want to share with you three types of fasting that we find in God's Word, and then two subcategories for how we may apply that fast in our life. The first is supernatural fast or an absolute fast. An absolute fast is when you abstain from food and drink completely. The example of this is Moses in the book of Exodus. When Moses goes up onto the mountaintop to receive the Ten Commandments, the law of God, the scripture tells us that he has nothing to eat and he has nothing to drink. It is an absolute fast. Now, I need to tell you something very directly. And I'm going to ask that you put that back up on the screen because I need you to hear this. I'm going to call you and invite you to participate in a fast And I pray that this would be a practice that you regularly keep in your life, an exercise of spiritual discipline that you regularly keep in your life. An absolute fast must not be practiced for a period of more than three days. Okay, I'm telling you as directly as I can, some of you were like, oh, I can do that. And you see this as a challenge. I'm not challenging you to anything, all right? An absolute fast will wreck your body. Been said that you will die if you don't eat or drink for a certain period of, uh, period of time. I don't want you to prove us right, okay? We already know it's the case. So an absolute fast, there is an example of it in the Bible, but it's a supernatural exhibit of a supernatural fast. So um, this can be done in extreme moderation, but it should never extend beyond three days. All right, so we have this supernatural or an absolute fast. The next type of fast is the one that we most commonly see in the Bible, and that's called a normal fast. A normal fast is when we abstain from food, but not drink. When we abstain from food, but not drink. In the Gospels, there's a story of Jesus after he's baptized that he goes into the wilderness for 40 days. While he's in the wilderness for 40 days, he participates in a fasting, a normal fast. He does not eat, but he does drink while he's in the wilderness. And so um, during the week of prayer, March the 3rd through March the 8th, praying for a harvest, but I'm also going to invite you, if the Lord leads you, to participate in a fast. Uh, Most of you will participate in a normal fast. You will abstain from food, but you will take in drink, um, whether it be a juice or a water, during that period of time. And that fast will be from sunset on Sunday night, March the 3rd, through sunset on Friday evening. The reason that we're cutting it off on Friday instead of Saturday is because that's Disciple Now weekend, and our volunteers need all the sustenance that they can handle. The normal fast is primarily what most of you will participate in 
But there's another type of fast that we commonly see. We have the absolute fast, the normal fast, and then we have a partial fast. A partial fast is when you give up a particular food and or drink. So um, you've heard of the Bible character, Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den, you've heard of him. In the first chapters of the book of Daniel, Daniel and some of his friends participate in a partial fast. They give up uh, meats and sweets from the king's table and they devote themselves to eating vegetables and water. And so some of you will participate in a uh, fast, but it will only be a partial fast, but it is a fast nonetheless. Fasting is, uh, it's, it's something that we can do in two ways. You've seen these types of fasting, but we can fast personally or we can fast corporately. Personally would mean that you just individually, you feel like the Lord has called you to fast for a particular reason and you are individually participating Uh, personally participating in a fast. And I'll give you some instructions. Again, I'm going to invite you to join me and others in our church for a week of prayer and fasting. And I'll give you some instructions, not tonight, but next Sunday night, mark it on your calendars, next Sunday night at 6.30 here, I'm going to provide for you a practical tutorial on how to fast. If you've never fasted before, please be here for that particular uh, evening service because it, is, it requires some preparation and it requires particular focus while you're fasting, but it also requires steps once you complete a fast. You don't wanna just decide, oh, I'm gonna fast for a week and then start, all right? It will ruin you. And you definitely don't wanna fast for a particular period of time and then just stop. It will ruin you. One time, I was fasting for uh, about 21 days and we had this new couple at a church invite us over. And so typically when you fast on a personal level, um, you're gonna at least tell the people around you that you're fasting. Men, tell your wives. Wives, tell your husbands. If you're working with people closely, be sure that they know that you're fasting. One, um, so that they don't tempt you and they can encourage you along the way, but two, also so that they don't think that you're just being um, a total meanie the whole time because it impacts your mood. And so I was fasting and typically during uh, seasons of fast, I'll tell my assistant, I'll tell my wife and they'll just sort of let people know, hey, you know, Brother Scott may not eat, no disrespect, he's just, he's just focused in on uh, fast for the particular season. So we were gonna eat with this couple that was new to the church and we were just trying to build a relationship with them. And before that message could get to them, it was the day of the fast and the wife had spent six hours preparing a meal. That's serious time. I mean, it was like this incredible meal. So we get there and I've been fasting for days and I'm in a predicament. What do I do? Like, do I just not eat or do I participate because the relationship is a bigger deal than than what I was praying for at the moment. And so I broke my fast to eat with them. And that's not the problem. The problem is how much I ate when I broke my fast. (laughs) And I'm telling you, I was having hallucinations. I was wrecked completely. So we want to give you some practical guidelines so that you don't, uh, you don't learn the same lesson that I learned on that particular instance. That's going to be next Sunday night. So you can personally participate in a fast, but you could also participate in a collective fast or a corporate fast. That's what we're encouraging you to. We have a common cause. We are praying that the Lord will allow us to reach 500 individuals with the gospel of Jesus Christ between now and Easter Sunday. And we want to invite you to join us in praying, not only for those that we'll reach, but also for those that are going to do the reach with the gospel. 
And so I want to invite you to participate. And one of those fasts, again, the absolute, no longer than three days, during the week of prayer. And so here's some types of fasting. Now let's look and see what Jesus says about fasting. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, he gives us three points that we can consider when fasting. The first is an expectation of fasting. Now, many Christians find this to be fascinating, but when Jesus is talking about fasting in verse 16, he talks about it in an expectation way. It's not an instruction. It's not a command. It's an expectation. He says, and when you fast, verse 16, and when you fast, all right, do you hear it? The expectation is that you're going to be doing what? Fasting. In this particular section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking to disciples. He's talking to people that have committed their way to God and that are following Jesus Christ. And he talks about three particular practices that are expected in every disciple's life. The first is praying, the second is giving, and the third is fasting. Now, most of us would, if we looked at a survey of, uh, of questions and it said, hey, Mark, the things that every Christian is expected to do without studying God's word, most of us would say, okay, we would expect a Christian to pray and we would expect Christians to give. Like that's kind of commonplace. But fasting is one that most people might not mark as an expectation for the Christian life. And I think it's because we just don't talk about it. Now, it's not a command. In other words, you don't have to be a faster to be saved, but it is an expectation of the Christian. If you're following Jesus Christ, you should practice fasting. And I'm going to share with you some benefits of fasting, and you'll understand why it's so critical in a moment. So Jesus says, here's an expectation. Then he gives some instructions. If you look at verse 17, here are the instructions that he gives for fasting. Jesus says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Now he's given some instructions before. In other words, he says, don't disfigure your face and don't make it look like you're fasting. So the instruction is this, when you fast, it's an expectation, be sure that you don't look miserable so that other people have pity on you. All right, if you've never fasted, I'm telling you, it is one of the most challenging things that you've ever done. One of the most challenging things you've ever done. I remember the first time I ever fasted. My, uh, one of the deacons in my church and myself, we were fasting. We were going to fast for 24 hours before we interviewed someone for a worship minister position. And so we were going to set ourselves together to fast for what one day. I just need to emphasize that. One day. And during that day, we were going to fast leading up to the interview that night, and we didn't really practice all of the steps getting ready for the fast that we should have. It was my first time to ever fast. And I'm telling you what, it was the longest day God had ever created. I was miserable. I had a headache. I was foul. I didn't want to be around anyone. And quite honestly, I wasn't thinking about that, uh, that candidate at all. All I was thinking about is like, God, can 6.30 get here any faster I was absolutely miserable. And you know what? Everybody knew it. I made sure that everybody on my staff and everyone I came into a calendar that day didn't make sure they knew I was fasting. I just made sure they knew I was miserable. Jesus says, don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't do that. But rather anoint your head and make up your face. In other words, take extra steps so that your fasting remains in secret and it's not a public display. Because ultimately you may be fasting for other people, but you're not fasting for other people. You're fasting so that God will see your intent and your desperation for a particular spiritual cause. So Jesus gives expectations, and then he gives instructions, and then he gives some incentive. In verse 18, he says, 
that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. So we don't want to fast publicly, we want to fast secretly, even if it's a collective agreement that we're going to fast, we want to fast secretly. And here's the incentive, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. In other words, God will see your fasting and desperation and he will reward you. So it's not a guarantee of what he's going to reward you. It's simply, if you seek God, God will notice you. God will notice you. And there's some incentive for us to practice our fasting. Now, let me share with you some of the benefits. If you study fasting, if you participate in fasting, you're going to discover many benefits to this spiritual discipline. But I want to bring to your attention four. And I pray that these will compel you to strongly consider making fasting a regular exercise in your spiritual walk. Number one is fasting brings about a new sense of focus. Brings about a new sense of focus. I I don't know about you, but if I want to guarantee disruptions in my life, I sit down with my Bible and I open it. And the moment, it's like the, it's like opening a Bible is the same thing as opening a floodgates for everyone and everything that's ever needed my attention to come at once. Does that ever happen to y'all? It's like, I'm not busy. I'm just going to have a quiet time and then I'll get busy. There are so many distractions and so much noise that's in our faces and in our hearts and in our souls and in our spirits all the time. What fasting does is it brings a renewed sense of focus. It sharpens our attention to God. There's an old preacher story about two lumberjacks that are uh, in competition. One day they decide there's a young guy and an old guy to see who can chop down the most trees in a day. And so they set themselves to this competition and there's this young lumberjack that starts the day off strong and all day long he shows his youth and his strength and he chops all day long, never takes a break. No water breaks, no lunch break, nothing. Takes no breaks, just chops all day long. There's this old veteran lumberjack who agrees to compete with this young buck in felling trees, except after every tree he chops down, he sat down and took a break. At the end of the day, it was clear, hands down, this older guy beat the younger guy. It wasn't even close. The older man cut down many more trees than the young guy did, and the young guy was like, I don't understand. He's like, what's the deal? He said, I cut down trees all day long and never took a break, whereas you took breaks all through the day. How did you cut more trees than me? And the guy said, it's simple. He said, every time I sat down to take a break, I sharpened my ax. Now listen, some of you are striving after the Lord with all that you've got. And I want to applaud you in that. I want to applaud you pastorally for reading your Bible, for coming to church, for bringing your families, for for praying throughout the week. But what fasting does is it gives you an opportunity to stop and to sharpen your ax so that you will be more focused when you are striving after the Lord. There's just something unique and refreshing about abstaining from food and challenging yourself. And the Lord will bring a renewed sense of fasting to you. Here's a second benefit is awareness of sin. Fasting gives us a fresh awareness of sin. Now we all have sin in our life, but what fasting does is it, it, it makes our sin appear larger. Have any of y'all ever used a magnifying glass? 
You know, magnifying glasses aren't as popular as they once were, but I think that if our children and grandchildren ever discovered what a strategically positioned magnifying glass under the sun pointed towards a bed of ants will do, we'd see, uh, we'd see sales of magnifying glasses increase. And they understood just what that magnifying glass could do, concentrating sunlight. But you know, when you look at an object under a magnifying glass, it makes the object look larger. But can I share with you a secret? The object you're looking at is not actually any bigger than it was before you looked at it through the magnifying glass. The magnifying glass just gives you a fresh perspective at the same old object. What fasting does is it magnifies your sins because you're taking away some of these distractions and some of these blinders. You're taking away some of the filters so that you can see your sin for what it is. And I'll tell you, if you've grown complacent with the sin that is present in your life, or if you fail to see it, if you will practice fasting, what God will do is he will magnify the sin so that you can not only see how disgusting and horrible your sin is, but you can have a renewed sense of awareness for the urgency to turn away from sin. And fasting does that in a way that you just can't otherwise. Here's a third benefit, and that is supernatural breakthrough. When we fast, we position ourselves before the Lord for a supernatural breakthrough. All right, now supernatural breakthroughs is not the type of language you're used to hearing, but I'm telling you that if you will practice fasting, you will see God do things supernaturally that you weren't used to before. There was a lady and her husband that were given testimony. In their church, they, had, they began every year with a 21-day fast. We're not jumping into that just yet. Let's just learn about it. 21-day fast their church participated in every year, and she gave this testimony. She said, my husband and I committed to fast for 21 days, and in particular, we were fasting for the salvation of, this is the wife speaking, for the salvation of my brother and his two daughters, a 14-year-old girl and a 16-year-old girl. She said, we were praying for their salvation because they were practicing Buddhist, and it broke our hearts. She said, so we began our 21-day fast, and about halfway through the fast, my 14-year-old niece contacted me and said, hey, I just need to let you know that I've received Jesus as my Savior, and I'm no longer a Buddhist. She was pumped up. Supernatural, supernatural breakthrough. She said, a couple of days later, I get a call from my other niece, the 16-year-old. She said, I have to tell you what's happened in my life. I was convicted of Buddhism and, and the false religion that it is, so I've turned away from Buddhism and I've received Jesus as my Savior and surrendered my life to Him as Lord. Supernatural breakthrough. She said, so we continued the fast and we were so excited for my brother to also make that phone call. She said, but the fast ended and he didn't. She said, but one week after the fast, I get a call from my brother. And I say, hey, how, how are you doing? He says, well, as you know, my, my daughters have turned against Buddhism and they've received Jesus as their savior. He said, when I saw them do that, I decided that I was gonna dig my heels in and I wasn't going to turn. He said, but God has convicted me and I have repented of Buddhism and I've also received Jesus as my savior. Listen, church, supernatural breakthrough. 
And I wanna challenge you, I cannot coerce you into fasting and I don't plan to, but I do want to inspire you towards it. Some of you have been praying for the same people week after week after week, and I would encourage you to continue praying for them, but I'd also encourage you to turn the volume up and begin fasting for their souls. I love Paducah. I cannot tell you how excited I am individually and how excited my family is to live here in this city. It has been an incredible experience. But I want to tell you, there are lost people all over this place that I don't want to continue living around. And there's only two options. One of us moves or they get saved and I'm going for the second one. Would you join me in fasting that the Lord would give us supernatural breakthroughs in the souls of those that live in Paducah, McCracken County, and West Kentucky? Here's a fourth benefit, and that is a turning point. You know, some of you have been walking the same old road for so long that you've now got a rut. It's the same. You've been trodden in the same path day after day, week after week, the same routine, the same schedule, the same sandwich, and you are in a rut and God wants to turn your life around. When we go to the Lord in fasting, oftentimes what he does is he turns us in a new direction. One author wrote this. He said, when we fast, we put our name on God's priority list. We get noticed by him. That's Jesus's promise. In Acts chapter 13, verses uh, one through three, there's the story of the apostle Paul and his, his brother in the ministry who was Barnabas. A few other guys at a church and they are fasting and worshiping the Lord. So it's a practice of their fast. They're practicing fasting. We believe that this is a normal fast and it is a corporate fast, okay? The Holy Spirit comes to that group while they're fasting and he says, I want you to set apart Paul and Barnabas for the thing that I've called them. So these guys, what they do is they get back together and they start fasting and they, con- they continue fasting and they start praying, Lord, give us discernment to see if what you're calling us to is exactly what we think we're supposed to do. After a period of time fasting and praying, do you know what they did? They set Paul and Barnabas apart to go on mission trips. Matter of fact, it was the launching of Paul's first missionary journey where he would go out proclaiming the gospel. Another way that we've called it is the first international mission trip where the gospel is being spread out deliberately and intentionally by missionaries. And can I tell you what resulted thousands of years later? You may not know this. God sending out Paul and Barnabas on the first international mission trip eventually would lead to us hearing the gospel here in Paducah, Kentucky. If God wouldn't have turned the trajectory of the church at that particular time through fasting and prayer, he may not have turned us to international missions, but those men gathering together for a particular time of fasting was a turning point for us thousands of years before we even around. It was a turning point for us. And I want to tell you that if you will seek the Lord through fasting, God will turn your life in a fresh direction. He may use this particular fast in the next couple of weeks. He may use this as a moment to change the trajectory of your future. Where he's taking you may not be where you've been. And you might be surprised. And so committing yourself to a fast is oftentimes the way that the Lord will direct you 
where he wants you to go. I'm gonna invite our worship team to come forward and we're gonna move into a time of invitation. And I need to let you know a couple of things as we move into this invitation. One of the things I would like for you to remember is that fasting is not a way that you get to God. I need to be very clear on this. God loves you whether you're fasting or not and salvation is available to you whether you practice fasting or not, okay? So let's all be clear. Fasting does not earn God's favor or get you saved. This is yes, you understand? This is no. You cannot work your way to God. God loves you already and he has already given his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that you could be saved. What fasting does is it is a practice that brings unique benefits to your life as a disciple of Jesus and a follower of Christ. So, if you don't have a relationship with God, you don't need to begin fasting. What you need to do is you need to receive Jesus as your Savior. That's the starting point. And it's simply by saying, I know I'm a sinner. This was the testimony that Braxton gave us in the baptistry. I know I'm a sinner in need of salvation. And if I don't have salvation, I'm going to hell. I believe that God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in my place for my sins. And so if you know you're a sinner in need of salvation, the only one that can provide salvation for you is Jesus. If you've never trusted Jesus as your savior this morning, I wanna invite you to receive him. In a moment, we're gonna have a prayer and then we're gonna sing a song. That's the invitation time. If you wanna receive Jesus as your savior or if you need to let us know about a decision, I'm gonna be down front. We're gonna have ministers at the end of every aisle. We wanna invite you during the invitation to step out and to step forward and come and take one of us by the hand and say, hey, I got saved or the Lord's doing something in my life and I need to make a decision. So during the invitation, you can do that. You know what, during the invitation, if you need to come forward for baptism or if you wanna join the church, you can step out and come forward and we would love to celebrate what God is doing in your life. And just a reminder, ladies, every Sunday, we have women that have been asked to be at the altar on our prayer team. And so ladies, if you would like someone to pray with you or for you, but you would just prefer it to be a woman and not a man, we have ladies ready to receive you. And we want to offer that to you because it's important. Um, during this invitation, if you need to make a decision, I want to invite you to do so. Step out, don't wait. And I'll also let you know, begin praying. Uh, we've got 500 people we want to reach. I've already got some lights lit up. If you share the gospel with someone coming up this week, you can come before church or stay after church or even come during the invitation and turn one of these lights. We want to light this sign up. And don't forget that this coming Friday night, we're going to have 153 either lost or unchurched kids here in the gospel. And I can't wait to see some lights represented for each one of those kids. Would you stand with me? I'm gonna pray for us. We'll have an invitation. Lord, thank you for the morning. We ask God that you would lead us to respond in obedience and faith. Thank you for your work on the cross. Thank you for loving us and challenging us not to be complacent or stuck, but to step forward. Help us now as we respond in Jesus' name, amen. The invitation's open.